Hey, I wonder if you viewed your life through the metaphor of a movie. What genre has your life been so far? Has it been an adventure? A comedy? Slapstick, someone said. Someone in the first service at Cheltenham said, a foreign film? (laughs) Has your life maybe been a drama, a suspense, a horror? (laughs) Or maybe an epic narrative? I think that's a good descriptor of many, many phases and parts. Movies, one way to look at your life. If we looked at your life through the metaphor of seasons, I wonder what season you're in now. Is it summer? Is it spring? Is it autumn? Or is it winter in your life? Or maybe you're between seasons. Uh, Then there's the chronological view. Are you in childhood, adolescence, young adult, middle age, senior? You know where you are. And the clock's ticking, right? There's lots of different ways to view our life today. We're going to look at our life through the metaphor of a journey, a journey. And if you'd like to take notes, the title of today's message is called The Spiritual Journey, Understanding the Stages of Faith. When you're on a journey, there's many stages, there's mountains, there's valleys, there's twists and turns. And so we're going to be using this metaphor of journey. And I'm going to be putting a bit of a map together. How many know when you're on a journey, it's good to have a map? Unless you just like to kind of go off-road random. It helps to have a map. And so I'm going to be sharing with you a bit of a map of the spiritual journey. This is not a prescriptive map. In other words, I'm not going to be telling you what you should experience or what you will experience. But it's more of an indicator of what often happens in people's journey of faith. It's good to have a map. And it's also good to have a guide when you're on a journey. Someone that may have been there before that can give you a few tips. And so I'm going to endeavor today and next week in this two-part series to give you a bit of a map of the stages of faith and to be a guide to help you understand maybe a little bit better about where you are on your journey. Um, Although this will be a sequential map, how many know life is not always linear? It's often more random, and we go in circles, and we jump here and there, and so uh, we'll explain that a little bit more as we go along. So, welcome to your spiritual journey. The first stage is something I want to call awareness. Awareness is where our spiritual journey begins. This is where we discover, or better worded, recognize that there is someone, something bigger than us. There is a God. And not only does God exist, but He's interested in our lives. And amazingly, He loves us. Uh, For some people, this awareness happens when they're young. For others, it happens a little later in life. Um, Some people call this a conversion story. For some people, it happens at a specific moment in time. You can remember the day, the moment, when and where it happened. For others, it's a little more ambiguous. They're not quite sure when it happened, couldn't tell you when, they just kind of know. In many ways, awareness is a little bit like waking up. Uh, Yesterday morning, Saturday morning, I woke up at 7.15. How do I know? Because I set my alarm. How many love alarms? Yeah, yeah. I, I had to go speak at an Alpha board retreat. I don't normally get up that m- early on a Saturday morning, but uh, I had to get up, so my alarm went right at 7.15. I was in a deep sleep because my sister's visiting from America, and so we stayed up late Friday night. And so, you know, I was awake at 7.15. Maybe you had an alarm clock conversion story. <laughs> Remember Saul on the way to Damascus? He's persecuting Christians, and suddenly Jesus appears to him, and... <laughs> Wow, in a moment, everything changes. Maybe for you, you can remember a moment in time. 
the specific place you were where you became awake, aware to God. Uh, tomorrow morning, I've got a day off, Monday day off, and I will not set my alarm tomorrow. And so probably I'll wake a little, then I'll doze a little, wake a little, then eventually our dogs will want their crunchies and my wife will want her coffee uh, and I'll get up. But if you ask me later this week, when did you wake up on Monday morning? I'll have no idea. I, I won't be able to tell you. You know, some people, their conversion's a bit like that. They couldn't tell you when, where, what happened. They just found themselves awake to the reality of God. And maybe, maybe you are in that situation. Don't be distracted. Maybe you became aware of God just over a period of time. You're not quite sure when. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm a PK. Any PKs in the room? Preacher's kids? Two, two, two preacher's kids? Survivors? Come on. My dad used to call me a TO, which stands for Theological Offspring, which is a, li which is a little higher category of PK. Uh, but I grew up in and around church. In fact, we used to go to church in Waverley Sunday morning, and then in the afternoon we'd go to another church in Canterbury where a variety of congregations came together. Then at Sunday night we went back to Waverley. I went to church three times every Sunday as a kid. Now you know why I'm so holy. Um, and then when I was about eight, our family went to America. It was the days of all the Bible conventions, and my dad, Kevin Connor, was teaching. And so for 18 months, we traveled up and down the west coast of America at all the conferences. Uh, I went to 800 church meetings in those 18 months. I'd go to the kids' program, but usually I'd get bored, so I'd end up on the front row with my notebook taking notes on all the big speakers. Uh, in those days, end times was kind of the in thing, and so I remember saying to my dad, Dad, are you going to speak about the Antichrist today, or aren't these people ready for that? So I kind of grow up. I grew up in and around church. Everyone around me kind of knew God, and apparently somewhere in my childhood I made a commitment to be a Christian. I couldn't tell you when. Anyway, in my mid to late teens, I decided I wanted to know God for myself. All these people around me know God, everyone's talking about God, but I want to know God personally. So I decided to take a three-day fast. We were living in America at the time, and in America, Portland, Oregon, they had those really multi-story houses, basement, ground floor, first floor, attic. And so I took my Bible and a notebook, and I headed to the attic. Well, the first day went by. Nothing eventful happened. God didn't show up, and I was getting a little hungry. Second day went by. Uh, still no dramatic experience. Flipping through my Bible, walking the floor. Um, fairly hungry now. Third day, I'm very hungry. Like, I'm starving, and I'm getting a little annoyed. God, I'm here. Where are you? I want to know you. Uh, please reveal yourself to me. God, are you real? I'm here. It's day three. You're not feeling my pain. Um, anyway, in the afternoon of the third day, I'm flipping through my Bible, you know, just doing a random, and I landed on 1 Samuel 3. And there's a story there of a little boy named Samuel, and God called Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. But it says this, Samuel did not yet recognize God's voice. So Samuel went to Eli, the old priest. Hey, Eli, you called me. Eli said, no, it wasn't me. Go sit down, go to sleep. Happened three times. Eventually, the old priest recognized, hey, I think God's trying to talk to Samuel. Hey, Samuel, when you lie down again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
And it says God began to speak to Samuel and revealed himself to Samuel through the word of the Lord. He went on to become an amazing prophet. So I'm reading this story on the third day, and it's like it's my story. And I didn't uh, hear an audible voice, but I had this flood of thoughts. Mark, I'm actually talking to you all the time, but you haven't yet learned to recognize my voice. You're looking for the spectacular. I was waiting for an angel, an audible voice, a scroll down from heaven. He says, you are looking for the spectacular, and you're missing the ordinary ways I speak to you, like through your parents. Ouch. Like through the preacher on Sunday, like through the Bible, like through the Holy Spirit, like through your conscience. And I had this flood of thoughts, and for the first time ever in my life, I became aware of God. And everything changed for me from that moment on, because I'd kind of had a socialized faith, and now I was aware of God for myself. And so what about you? Have you had a moment in time, an experience? Have you become aware of God? This is where our journey begins. Uh, the good news is that God is not far from any one of us. You ever hear that phrase, oh, they're really far from God? It's actually not biblical. Paul in pagan Athens got up and gave a little speech. He says, God is not far from any one of us. In fact, we don't lack God's presence. What we lack is awareness. This story in the Old Testament, Jacob. Jacob's out in the desert. It says he comes to a certain place and he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, there's this dream of this ladder and there's angels going up and down between heaven. And he wakes up, he wakes up and he goes, How awesome is this place? God was in this place and I was not aware of it. What turns a certain place into an awesome place? <laughs> Awareness of God. Now, Sometimes, have you ever heard this phrase like, oh, we went to church tonight and God showed up? It's interesting, isn't it? Kind of implies God's never around, but tonight he decided to come. Could I suggest that maybe it's better to say, we woke up today? Because God is with us all the time. Jesus actually says, my name is Emmanuel. I'll be with you to the end of the age. How many know the age hasn't ended yet? So Jesus is with us. He's with us all the time. We don't need more of the presence of God. We need more awareness. We need to wake up. We don't all wake up at the same time. We don't all wake up in the same way. But I pray that you've had an increasingly being aware of God's presence. And may this Christmas be a time when many of those around us wake up to the reality of God. This is where our spiritual journey begins. Number two, the second stage I want to call growth. So we're now aware of God, however that may have happened to you, or maybe you're still searching. Then we begin to want to know this God. We want to become like Him, and so we start to grow. Usually this stage includes hanging out with other people who become aware of God. You suddenly find out, hey, there's other people who know God. So whether it's an informal group of other Jesus followers, or whether it's church like Bayside, uh, the community becomes an important part of our growth. But not only the community, spiritual experiences. Uh, maybe you've been baptized in water or filled with the Spirit. These are all growth experiences. And also spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises become part of our growth process 
in this stage of our faith. There's an interesting verse in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Paul says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Everyone say train. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be like God, to be like Jesus. Notice he doesn't say try to be godly. Anyone ever tried to be like Jesus? Come on. You ever tried to love your enemy? I love you, and then I hate you, and then I love you, and then I hate you. You know, we think growth is about trying, but it's actually not. Paul says, train yourself to be godly. See, in the natural world, trying only gets you so far. Uh, let's say next Saturday we decide, Frankston, Bayside, we, we need to raise some money for a community cause. We're all involved in it. And so we're going to run a marathon next Saturday, and we're going to raise money for this great cause. Who, who's in for the marathon next Saturday? One. Two. Come on, this is for a good cause. This is going to change the world. Come on, who's in? Look at you people. Only two of you. Three. See, the rest of you are smart. You know that just by rocking up next Saturday and trying to run a marathon, it's not going to happen. You just know, like you just know, you, you can't do that. But imagine if we set the marathon for next year, and over the next 12 months, we all get involved in a life of training. We get out, we do our push-ups and our sit-ups, we do our 100 meters, our 200 meters, we're doing our 10 kilometers. It's just an illustration, just relax. Imagine over the next 12 months, we all get into a life of training. How many know by training, you enable yourself to do what you cannot do by willpower alone? Did you catch that? Let's change the metaphor. Let's talk about music. Jimmy, did you play the piano? No. So, so, so let's just say I have a prompting today. I reckon Jimmy can play the piano. And so we, we get him up here and we go, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Now, now how many think by just trying hard with a lot of encouragement from all of us, Jimmy's going to play the piano? It's, ludic it, it, it's ludicrous. Emma's going, definitely not. You know. but, but how many know if Jimmy would get into some lessons, learn some theory, do some scales, do some arpeggios, training will enable him to do what trying doesn't accomplish. Let's change it. Let's talk about language. Kate? Kate? I just kind of feel if you try, you can speak Japanese. Come on, come on. Mitsubishi, Suzuki, Kamikaze, Sushi, Sushi. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Didn't get much from Kate. See, Kate's smart. She knows just trying to speak a language, it, it's not going to work. But if Kate went to some lessons, learned some vocabulary, some grammar, are, are you with me? Training enables you to do what you cannot do by willpower alone. 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, Paul says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Guess what the Greek word for train is? Gymnazo from which we get the word gymnastics. Paul is saying to Timothy, engage in a life of spiritual exercises that will enable you to become like Jesus. 
Now, this is a whole subject in itself, but there are many spiritual disciplines, prayer, fellowship, serving, solitude, fasting, reading the Bible. These are all exercises that help us be transformed to be like Jesus. I wonder what kind of exercises have been helpful in your life. I'm thankful growing up in the communities I've been a part of. Uh, I've benefited by lots of different disciplines. Uh, one of them for me has been Bible reading. Um, when I was a teenager, our youth leader said to all of us teenagers, whatever the date of the month is, read a proverb for that day. So if it's the 5th of December, read Proverbs 5. And we do that. if you do that every day, in 12 months, you'll read the book of Proverbs 12 times. I did that for a couple of years. I can't tell you how much wisdom I learned through the discipline of reading the Bible. In fact, there were moments when it transformed my life. Tell you a funny story. Um, I was kind of in and out of church, in and out of youth, and I had a friend, and we were into bicycles in those days, living in Portland, Oregon, and uh, uh, we were always looking for little extras for the bike, and uh, so we got a Kmart, and my friend was starting to steal stuff. Now I didn't steal, but I was helping him. So it was before the days of CCTV, and so I'd go down the aisle, and I'd kind of open the packet, then I'd go to the next aisle, then he'd come and steal. I wasn't stealing, I was just helping him. Don't look at me so holy. <laughs> anyway, so we kind of do this on a regular basis. We go down, he'd get a little lock or a little light, and I was justifying my behavior because he was doing the stealing, I was just assisting him. True story, I'm reading the book of Proverbs one morning, Living Bible, and I'm going through the Proverbs, and then this proverb came up. He who is a partner to a thief is a fool. Wow, God had my attention. Gave Steve a call. Steve, I'm out. I'm done. See, what's happening? The reading of God's Word. Uh, David, David said this, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. David didn't say, I'm trying really hard not to sin. No, he's actually saying, as I get the wisdom of your word in my heart, it actually helps me say no. A funny story, just a few years ago, we're living in the semi-rural part of the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. We had a neighbor that had two sheep. They didn't look after them very well. In fact, one summer, the wool was really thick and heavy, and the sheep would fall over and couldn't get back up. And so we'd have to go knock on the door and say, hey, your sheep's fallen over. And this happened multiple times. And one Saturday morning, I was literally in my... Um, chair reading my Bible, just doing my devotion Saturday morning, and Nicole goes, hey, the sheep's fallen over. And I said this, I'm not going around. I'm done. It's their problem. I just kept reading my Bible. I'm reading Matthew. Come along. Jesus is talking about the Sabbath. And true story, it, Jesus says this, which of you which has a sheep which falls into the ditch will not reach out? I jumped up. I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> Now, I, I wish that happened every day, but, but what am I saying? You know, these spiritual disciplines, now here's the key thing. Spiritual disciplines are not a measure of spirituality. See, if we do a marathon next year, the question is not how many push-ups did you do? How many 100 meters? The issue is, can you run the marathon? And in growing, the issue is not how many chapters of the Bible did you read this week? How many hours did you pray? No, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you becoming like Jesus? 
Are you becoming more joyful, more kind, more loving? See, the disciplines aren't a measure of spirituality. They are a means to transformation. So, how are you going in this growth stage? How has community been a part of your growth? How has spiritual exercises helped you to become more like Jesus? Next stage is something I want to call contribution. So we're now aware of God, we're growing, we're changing, and then we realize we have a contribution to make. I won't spend long here because we gave an entire message in November called Discovering Your Life Purpose. And so if you weren't here, get online and have a listen to that. Basically, no one wants to be useless. We all want to be useful. And so at this stage, you discover you've got gifts, you've got talents, and you begin to develop those and deploy them for the benefit of others. This is another part of our spiritual journey. Now, I wish we could pause here and just say, you know what? That's it. Become aware of God, grow as a Christian, serve, and keep doing those things, and before long, Jesus will be back. But I've discovered in my life and observing the journey of faith that before long, most of us come to a fourth stage that I want to call the war. At some point in our journey, most people hit the wall. This is a crisis, a challenge, a test of faith, where suddenly we have questions, we have doubts, we have uncertainty. Our faith isn't working just like it did in the earlier stages, and God's just not showing up as quickly. He's not answering our prayers as rapidly as He did earlier on. It's a very vulnerable stage. It's a very unsettling stage in the journey. My first time at the wall was when I was 16. I have an older sister, eight and a half years difference between Sharon and I. She'd married by this time, left home, so I'm home by myself. And we had a, a Bible college student named Robert. He was 20, come board with us. So I kind of finally had my older brother. So I loved having Robert around. We're getting to know each other. Uh, we went on holidays during the summer. Robert couldn't go because he was working. Again, this is still while we're in Portland, Oregon. And so I still remember the moment. We were coming back from holidays. My dad was at the front door of the house turning the key. We had our suitcases. The phone was ringing. My dad went in and answered the phone. We brought the suitcases in, and my dad was visibly shaken because it was Robert's best friend. A group of young adults in church had been out swimming in the river, and Robert drowned went under, caught by a branch, they tried to save him, and he was gone. I'm in his funeral going, God, what, what's going on? He's, he's in Bible college. He's training for the ministry. He's engaged to a beautiful girl. The family was devastated. The church community was devastated. I'm there as a 16-year-old going, God, what, 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 like, what, what, what's up with this? Like, why is this happening? A lot of questions, not many answers. Fast forward, come back to Australia, married, got a little boy, Josiah, um, 1990 now, and my parents head off to America, get to the Los Angeles airport. My dad gets on a plane to go to Chicago to preach at a church. My mum is waiting to get on a plane to go to Portland to see my sister who still lives there. My mum has a massive heart attack right there in the Los Angeles airport. We all eventually fly in. She's on life support for 10 days, and then she was gone. No chance to say goodbye. 64, gone. 
2007, Nicole's mum, uh, losing a lot of weight, doctor said she had a thyroid issue, we brought her to Melbourne, got a second opinion, found out she had advanced bowel and stomach cancer, and in three weeks she was gone. Ten weeks later, ten days later, on New Year's Day, our kids were all in a serious car accident and spent the next few days in the emergency ward of a hospital. I'm just saying I've, I've spent a little time at the war where there were some tears and some disappointment and a lot of questions. You know, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of great miracle stories, a lot of great healing stories, a lot of great awareness and growth and contribution, changing the world stories. But there's also a lot of stories of people at the war. <laughs> we don't have time to talk about Abraham and Joseph and Job and Elijah, who was so depressed he wanted to take his life, and Peter, who denied Jesus and wept bitterly in shame and regret, and the two disciples on the way to Emmaus saying, we had hoped that he was the one. Feel the disappointment. Now, we've read the next chapter. They haven't yet read the next chapter. Can you feel the disappointment? We had hoped. It didn't turn out like we expected it would. Paul in prison, shipwrecked. <laughs> Hebrews 11 has all these men and women of faith, and then it says there were others. <laughs> others who didn't have the answer to their prayer, just as they thought. And so I wonder if we had time today to hand the microphone around and say, you ever been at the war? <laughs> Lunch is going to be a little while off. Because somewhere in your journey, there'll be some moments where you go, God, where are you? What is going on? And I'm just here to tell you today, if you're at the wall or if you've been at the wall, there's nothing wrong with your faith. There's nothing unusual about you. This is a normal part of the journey of faith. The key thing is this wall time can be a defining moment in our life. And at the wall, there's three possible responses. One is denial. Just deny the whole thing. Deny the wall and just kind of bounce back into awareness, growth, contribution, and just keep saying, God is good all the time. God is good. It's a good little mantra, but when you're at the wall, you kind of go, well, is God really good? So some people actually deny the wall even exists and do a hyper-faith thing and just don't want to engage with the question of suffering. Other people at the wall defect on their faith and say, I can't trust a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. Some people defect and they just throw their faith completely away. Or thirdly, we can actually deepen our faith by courageously trusting God at the wall, even in the face of unanswered questions. You know, I don't know why Robert drowned at age 20. I, I don't know. But for me, his death was a defining moment in my life. Before that time, I was a bit of a yo-yo Christian, you know, up and down, uh, in and out. And I remember sitting at his funeral, listening to them read some of his journal <laughs> entries of his deep love for God. The very next morning, I, I started my own journal, <laughs> and I committed my life afresh to God. I realized, wow, life is short, life is frail, and I freshly committed my life to God. Although I've had my ups and downs, I've never turned back. And I've continued to journal off and on to this day. One day I hope to see Robert again. I'm going to say, Robert, you didn't live very long, only 20 years, but your death impacted my life. For me, that moment at the wall was a time of deepening my faith in a God that at times is mysterious. And so how do, how do you do that? How do you handle the wall? How do you get through the wall? Well, don't miss next week or the next 
exciting episode of the spiritual journey. Because there's life on the other side of the wall. There's some deeper stages of faith, and we will talk about those next week. You okay? Let me pray for you. God, thank you for this amazing thing called life. It's a mystery. It's full of delight and joy and excitement and wonder and surprises. But it also has some unexpected twists and turns. And sometimes there's disappointments and sometimes there's even pain. And in this mystery of life, Lord, we pray that we would continue on our spiritual journey. Lord, for those that are here today that aren't even sure you're real, I pray that they would become aware of you, to wake up to the reality there is a God. And for those that are aware of you, may their awareness of you grow and increase. Lord, as we continue to follow you, may we continue to grow, uh, being a part of a community. And uh, maybe some of us have been trying to be like Jesus, (laughs) trying really hard. It just just doesn't work. So help us know what set of disciplines and exercises might be appropriate for us right now. And it's not about 20 things to do, some religious ritual, some legalistic keeping of certain things, but that we would see these things are means of transformation. Help us to keep growing. Uh, Help us to keep leaning into our life purpose. And Lord, for those that are here today that may be at the wall, (laughs) maybe right now they're going, God, where in the world are you? Lord, today, may they not deny the reality of suffering. May they not defect their faith, but may their faith deepen as they trust you courageously at this season. Bring them through the other side. And I pray for each of us in our spiritual journey. We're all in different places, different stages. May we encourage one another to continue to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. I think we give Jesus a clap. I always love to say thank you, God. You're amazing.